This episode is brought to you by Blockdaemon. You'll be hearing all about them later from me later in the episode, but now on with the show. All right, everyone, welcome back to another uh, weekly roundup edition of On the Margin. Today, I'm joined by my rapacious co-host, Mr. Mark Yusko. What's going on, Mark? I love rapacious. And uh, <laughs> I, uh, as we were just discussing offline, I, I, I'm, I'm recovering a little bit. Seven hours stuck in LaGuardia yesterday, got home at 1.30. So, uh, and I'm not a morning person to begin with, so um, I apologize for the bags. All right, quick Quick reveal that will set the stage for our conversation. Mm, I love so, it. I I have the the Lightning Network Bitcoin Lightning Network with mm. the orange pants um, because Bitcoin Miami was was insane. Electric. It was it was insane. Yeah. Twenty five thousand of my closest friends. Um, I mean, unbelievable venue. You saw the picture of the bowl. Absolutely magnificent statue. Yeah. Um, great speakers, great content. Just a, a, a really great event. Um, was actually at a dinner and uh, the mayor did a drive by and sat with us for about 20 minutes. And he's an impressive guy. I mean, he's he now he basically announced on stage he's going to run for president in 2024. But um, he should. yeah, oh, he will. I, I have no doubt in my mind. Uh, any, what were the, like any takeaways from just the content strains? Like, was there a focus on lightning? lightning. Was there a focus on mining? Yeah. Lightning, 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 lightning. And there was a whole mining track. So there was a lot of discussion about mining and there were a lot of good mining people there and, you know, JP Barrick and others. And, um, and I think mining was definitely a, a big conversation, which was exciting for me because our, you know, we got two big new investments in the fund. One is uh, a chip company that has a better ASIC, I mean, better than Bitmain's ASIC and actually four times better than the new Intel chip that was announced. And I'm really super excited about that uh, company called Chain Reaction. And so there was there was definitely mining discussion. And there was the usual, you know, rah-rah Bitcoin. Remember, this is a Bitcoin conference. It's, you know, you're not allowed to use the E word, although it was great. Peter Thiel got up and actually put the Ethereum logo on a chart and you boo, boo, boo. Everyone was booing and hissing. And, um, but it was, it wasn't quite as crazy as last year where someone came out, you know, staged obviously and, and ripped off their shirt and they had a big Ethereum thing and someone came and tackled them on stage. And, you know, it wasn't quite the theatrics, but it was, it's, it's definitely the, the, the mood was, single chain world. Mm -hmm. Bitcoin is it. And, you know, I sat on a, a panel and we had some discussion and there's a woman, Elise Colleen, who's very yeah. good and very focused in, investor. And she was making the comment that, uh, you know, a Bitcoin, a stable coin built on top of Bitcoin is a kill shot, right? She's going to kill Ethereum and all, and all the other use cases. I'm like, well, okay. I mean, Maybe, and, and look, the proof of work, proof of stake is real. Proof of work is superior. It, it just is in terms of decentralization and, and security and safety. So that, that we can have that debate, but I, I think it's a useless debate. Um, but it was interesting. And then my view is, well, Paul Romer, 
right, won the Nobel Prize, said it's not the best technology that wins. It's the technology that gets critical mass first. So, you know, USDC has $260 billion of value on chain and trades $25 billion a day. I don't know if that's all going to just, ooh, I'm going to just move over to this, this new idea. Plus, there is no Bitcoin stablecoin today. I have a lot of thoughts on this, honestly. I want to, yeah. we've got a lot of other stories I want to get to, but I want to return to Lightning and just, um, you know, the proliferation of other apps and services on top of the Bitcoin layer. Um, but, you know, the two big directions that I want to, or the takes that I want to get today is um, I want to talk, obviously, about the, the CPI print that just came out, but I also want to connect that um, between, you know, we talk a lot about CPI on this show, but also PPI, uh, right? Mm -hmm. So, and and also uh, the ISM manufacturing index as well, because uh, we're yep. getting some pretty interesting signaling uh, just in terms of economic indicators. Um, and then I got to get your take on uh, later in the show on Elon's uh, bid to buy Twitter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I tweeted one of, or I I quote tweeted one of your your tweets that you know you know how I feel about this, but yeah, I'm happy to talk about it. All right. So what we're looking at here, just to kick things off, is just the March, uh, you know, headline CPI number. It came in at a record 8.5%. If you're watching along with us on video here, you can see the breakout, uh, you know, between headline and core CPI. You also see it broken out across services, goods, uh, excluding food and energy, and then, of course, food and energy. Um, you know, you're kind of seeing a steady creep up in terms of services. It looks like goods actually kind of stayed constant between February and March. Uh, but obviously, both food and energy have been have been creeping up pretty substantially, yep. in large part due to the conflict in Ukraine. Um, you know, we talk a lot about that. We can kind of dive into it. Go back to that chart for a second. What yeah. I love about that chart, um, I talk about alligators jaws, alligator mm -hmm. jaws always close. This thing looks like an alligator. I mean, it absolutely looks like an alligator. You got the little feet on the bottom, you got the top jaw in yellow, and you got the bottom jaw in, in red, and, you know, a gaping mouth. So look, this, I'm on the record, this was the peak print. It's all downhill from here. And within 12 months, we won't be talking about inflation. It'll be gone from, from, the, uh, from the consciousness. Uh, used car prices, which are about uh, Forty percent of this increase have rolled over the last three months, largest decrease since 1969 this month, and oil prices are going down. Um, that we, we've seen peak oil prices; they're they're headed down, particularly right before the election. They're going to do something big to get gas prices down, or else the Dems are just going to get slaughtered. Now they might get slaughtered anyway for for being stupid, but um, it's. So anyway, I'm, this is peak, and this yeah. alligator jaw is going to close. Well, help help me help me understand. You know, I was I was looking into this before we got on air today. Um, you know, I'm looking at this record jump in the producers' price index, right? The PPI, uh, largest uh, month over month increase since they started measuring it in in at least since 2010, uh, yep. right? So. Walk me through like what, and, and then of course there's the PMI, right? Which a lot of folks pay attention to. And those are both really important leading economic indicators. So just just give us a little bit of a lesson here. What is the PPI? What is the PMI? Why do people look at that uh, as important economic indicators? Well, well P, you know, CPI, consumer prices, people talk about it. And it's, but the thing about CPI is, you know, it, it excludes some of the things that, that we use every day. Things like food, energy, you know, the, the, the core. Uh, the headline puts those things back in, and as I said, the bulk of the increase uh, is has has been energy costs and 
energy costs and used car prices. PPI is different. This is like the industrial things that go in to manufacturing the finished goods that we measure in, in CPI. So this is things like industrial metals and, and you know, I, I don't know, all the things are in it, but coal and, and, and other, other uh, units, uh, whatever, there's a term for it that now I'm forgetting, but it's, it's the components that, that make other things up, the industrial components. And, and there is definite pressure on this stuff. You know, you had nickel price go crazy because of the Russia-Ukraine thing. But that, again, is temporal. You know, do I think Russia and Ukraine are going to be fighting for the next 10 years? I actually don't. I, I really don't. Now, I could be wrong, right? It could end up that they are in Ukraine the same way we were in Iraq for, you know, a gazillion years and Afghanistan for 20 years. Um, and it's possible that that could disrupt you know, palladium supplies and nickel supplies. Uh, I thought it was funny that Volkswagen made more money on their nickel hedge than they made selling cars. Like, like by really? orders of magnitude, they made like three, $3.8 billion on this rogue nickel hedge. They had no idea, right? They just hedged their price of nickel because maybe prices could go up. Um, but they didn't expect the big short squeeze. And they certainly didn't expect the LME to cancel a bunch of trades because some billionaire in China said, screw it, I'm not paying. I'm not going to do the margin call. So I think there's a lot of bad data in this stream that, again, I believe is temporal. And, and I think the one thing that isn't, if you look at the, the, big, the big spike there at the beginning of, of 2021, I think that kind of is is real in that that is the currency devaluation piece, I think. I, I, and I've been talking about this and you know, Greg Foss yelled at me on Twitter about it and we're, we're buddies, but um, he's like, no, it's all the same. Inflation and currency, no, I'm, I don't think it is. And we've talked about this. Demand pull inflation is very, very different than currency devaluation. And we, we had a massive currency devaluation like we've never seen. Right? We had more currency created by global central banks in that period, you know, from middle of 2020 uh, till the beginning of 2021 than any time in history. And, and it wasn't close, right? It was bigger than World War II, bigger than World War I. I mean, just, just big, and per, particularly as a percent of GDP. So I do think we're, we're going to be at a higher plateau, but I think that that spike will roll over. I, I think it's going to roll over, and I think it'll roll over hard as chips come. Now, all this could be wiped out if China persists in the kabuki theater and the nonsense about lockdowns. So this is the wrong title on this chart here, but what we're looking at here is um, uh, PMI uh, you know, activity coming out of China. Now, PMI is different. The Purchasing Managers Index is different than you know, PPI, which is industrial prices and, and CPI, which is his consumer prices. The PMI is, is really, uh, it's a survey tool on economic activity. And, you know, there's, there's two of them. There's the manufacturing PMI, and then there's the services PMI. And, you know, when the PMI is above 50, it's expansionary. When it's below 50, it's contractionary. And, 
you know, again, you see this massive spike in PMI off the bottom in 2020 when we did the greatest monetary pump in the history of the world. And it got to the point where it looked like we were going to have this massive economic, you know, party. And and one of the things about, about these, these trends is what you see, you don't ever see it spike and then plateau, right? It either spikes and goes down or it spikes down and goes back up. And, and that makes sense because stimulus, either positive stimulus or withdrawal stimulus, isn't permanent. It's like a one-time thing. And so, uh, you know, China stopped putting money into the system last year. So part of the reason Chinese equities had such a tough year in 2021 was they were withdrawing stimulus while the rest of the world was, was putting it in, the Western world. And that's why the Chinese renminbi was actually strong relative to the dollar um, last year when everyone thought the dollar was, was so weak. It was just less bad than the yen and, and the euro. But what this is telling me is recession is imminent. In fact, you could argue that we're already in it. And I said, if, if the Chinese lockdown nonsense continues, which I, I kind of in, am in the camp that all of this, all of the made up stuff around COVID and lockdowns was all to create this, this pause, this reset, this realignment of axes between the West and, and call it the East. And so I do think we're going to have a really wicked uh, recession. And if, and if the Fed persists in raising rates, they'll turn a garden variety recession into a depression, I actually think. The, the reason why I wanted to highlight this is, you know, as Americans and maybe a lot of Americans listening to the show, we think we're the center of the world. But uh, an enormous amount of economic activity occurs in China, right? So I remember you saying on a couple of previous episodes, right, uh, that before the Powell pivot in, you know, late 18, early 2019, right, what the Fed was getting spooked because they were looking at Chinese economic activity as a leading indicator. Uh, and, you know, for me, I'm kind of looking at this and saying, yeah, I mean, you know, I guess my, my open question to you is, do you see this as being a leading in economic indicator for almost global GDP, right? 100%. Activity? 100%. And it's, there is there's no doubt in my mind. I mean, none. And and look, I'm prone to hyperbole and people say, you can't say things like that. I'm like, why not? Said, you know, because you say things so forcefully. I'm like, well, what's wrong with that? People will believe you. Like, that's the whole freaking idea. <laughs> But what if you're wrong? I'm wrong all the time. Then you change your mind. I mean, th this whole this whole idea of being afraid of being wrong just drives me crazy. So clearly could be wrong. And clearly China could reverse course and start stimulating it. They've been jawboning about it um, to, to get their stock market to stop going down. Um, but I just I, you look at this this data, and this is not data that moves quickly, right? PMIs don't move quickly other than the the spike off off the bottom when when we did extraordinary measures but they don't tend to to move quickly but once the trend starts positive or negative and that and if you if you if you took this over a longer scale what you'd see is a 7 year cycle there's a 7 year historically business cycle that kind of got disrupted with the global financial crisis and it follows expansion of liquidity and contraction of liquidity. And all the PMI is really doing, right? If you, if you put a bunch of money into the economy, 
shockingly, the banks will make it available to businesses. The businesses will borrow it. They'll invest in property, plant, and equipment, and goods and services, and people will feel robust, and they'll, they'll make purchases, and, and the world will go up, and PMI will, will rise. When you withdraw liquidity, okay, what will companies do? They'll contract. They'll cut, cut production. They'll lay people off. People will feel less robust. They'll spend less, and you'll get a falling number. And so now with what the, the one heartening thing about this is it's been such a dramatic drop that maybe we're closer to the end than the beginning. And so maybe this cycle is going to be shrunken and we're going to have a quick, short, uh, steep recession and, and then get back to, to stimulating. Mm. And that's what I actually do think is going to happen. I think the central banks will start printing again and not tighten. Uh, and I think people are going to be surprised how quickly they reverse. The last episode of Forward Guidance, uh, which Jack Farley uh, hosts with Fed Guide, Joseph Wang, uh, they had on uh, George Goncliffs. Um, and he, he kind of said something actually pretty pretty similar, which was that um, you know he expects basically cycles to be shorter uh, and volatility to increase uh, kind of moving yep. forward. So, yeah, I mean, that kind of jibes with that. Um, I love agreeing with smart people. <laughs> right. It's good. Uh, it definitely gives you some it's affirmation. Just, it's just good in life to, yeah. to agree with smart people. It is. You're like hot damn. George is great. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, and maybe clear up for folks as well, sort of, you know, this idea that we've been talking about, uh, you know, the idea between different types of inflation, supply different inflation, demand pull inflation and the role that currency has there. You know, when when we talk about injecting money into the economy, there are two ways to do that, right? There's like the QE way, the monetary way, and then there's the fiscal way. And the reason why the stock market so often comes up in your and my conversations here is because you can almost think about giving banks money through QE or people money. And if you give people money, what they do is they spend that money on things, right? Goods. And that's how you get this kind of core CPI inflation. But when you give banks money, they're, they're not going out and buying cars, right? What they're doing is they're, they're you know, spending that on financial assets in general. And you're, when you drive the price of financial assets up, uh, then you also drive the stock market up. And then importantly, people lever themselves to the stock market. Again, if you're, if you're the average citizen, you are just getting pounded here because you don't yeah. own stocks. You don't own real estate. You're not levered up. You're barely making rent and buying food. I mean, I had a, a very sobering conversation with a family member who said, I I had to decide what I could buy at the store the other day for food. I was like, whoa. I mean, and 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 look, and and look, check my my American privilege. Our life is really pretty good, is as even in the in the worst of it compared to some places around the world. So I'm I'm not I'm not talking about that. It's just that is a very kind of humbling thing to to experience. And CPI in particular, particularly if it gets to food, which clearly is going to be impacted by this fertilizer nonsense. I mean, fertilizer prices have gone crazy. Now they're diverting for it. Now, the idiotic, again, I said the Dems are just doing stupid stuff. You want to increase the ethanol content in, in gasoline, right, to, to try to lower oil price? Are you joking? To, you want to take food out of the food chain? and make food prices worse? Unbelievable. I think overall, people respond to incentives, 
And I think we have we have an incentive structure in the governance of the U.S. that just doesn't make sense. So, like, I'm actually literally trying to put myself in the shoes of Jerome Powell. Right. And I'm looking at the stuff that you and I have been talking about for a long time. Uh, We've got, you know, poor structural demographics. We've got a debt overhang. We've got slowing growth. And he's got a constituency of shareholders, the United States, that is unwilling to accept those results, right? So what you need to do then is provide stimulus. And you can kind of do it in those two ways that we talked about. You can do it in monetary stimulus through financial assets. And, you know, that kind of juices things. And the, Or you can do it in fiscal stimulus. And, you know, it's a set of trade-offs, right? Like from a very small, wealthy, privileged couple people's perspective. And, you know, the downside of financial assets is wealth inequality, right? But but roughly things stay unbroken for a period of time. The downside of fiscal injection is rampant inflation, which nobody wants. Now, you can make like pros and cons, right? Pros and cons. I see how they came to that decision. Unfortunately, the chickens have come home to roost at this point because, you know, what I what I feel like they ultimately did was they just they accepted tail risk. And the tail risk is historically when you have record wealth income wealth inequality that that shit reverts you know in one way or another it yeah. but but they were like it might not happen in my lifetime i suppose and and here is why like this is why you know that conversation with your family member which i'm sorry you had to have food prices <laughs> food when food prices start jumping look I, and and i love you know this chart and and you've been talking about this for a while and and i think you guys did a show with russell clark and we did and if people don't know russell you need to know russell he is, yep. is one of the great thinkers in, in our business, the investment business. And two years ago, like before all the nonsense. I know. I know. Before yeah. all the nonsense started, he wrote this great piece uh, and went on a number of shows talking about it, that, that the next big problem globally was going to be caused by massive increases in food prices mm-hmm. and it had to do with, you know, supply and demand and production and and all this this geopolitical nonsense that was going to occur and, and he didn't he didn't know per se where it was going to be or going to be Russia Ukraine but you know it's not a coincidence that you know stuff is happening right now in Ukraine which happens to be the breadbasket of that part of the world and it's I don't know. There, there's just so many things that are problematic here with, again, the lockdown policies and the the constraining of, of shipping and the, the 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 rehunkering down towards nationalism and populism and the deglobalization. I mean, I think about this now, not now because it's it's springtime, and but in the winter, right? You're enjoying your your very nice dinner at home and snow outside on the ground. Where'd that food come from? <laughs> it certainly didn't grow out in your backyard. It came from someplace else, far mm-hmm. away, and it required a whole bunch of hydrocarbons. There are no electric steamer ships. No, there just aren't. There are no electric airplanes, and that isn't changing anytime soon. So anyone thinks we're gonna you know, go to all electric everything. And, you know, the nonsense of, oh my God, if you're suffering with high gas rates, just buy an electric car. You mean that $60,000 car that really is 75,000 when you actually get things like tires and a steering wheel, uh, the options, um, insanity, insanity. One, one thing from an investor perspective that I also just struggle with, I'm not sure, is just, 
Yeah, this is a chart that comes to us from, uh, I guess, the ultimate. It's data from Bloomberg, but Jim Bianco put this together. This is Q1 2020. Yeah, he is the best. Total return, right? So you well, got the fact that he watches our show is like, I mean, I was, I was like doing backhands. Well, I can't do a backhand. But if I could do a backhand spring, I would have been doing them. Yeah. Shout out, Jim, if you're listening. You are the best. Um, you know, but, he, you know, he kind of put total returns right across different asset classes here. So we've got the S&P, you know, we've got high yield bonds, we've got, uh, you know, MSCI, right, emerging markets, uh, we got a whole bunch of different things here. Nothing returned positive, right? It's down across the board. I think one, one of the unique, maybe, maybe unique facets of this particular inflationary stagflationary period is that, you know, you're heading into it with, with basically everything at all time highs, right? There's been a pretty, pretty, uh, market, mm-hmm. you know, route in the bond market, I will say recently, but, yep. uh, you know, yep. and the stock market isn't at all time high, but what within spitting distance, right? Five, yep. 10%, right? Yep. Uh, indices. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of like, and crypto isn't on here, but crypto's taken, uh, you know, a bath certainly, uh, in Q1. What do you do with your money? And, you know, I'm still looking at things and being like, you know, I do subscribe to this idea that, I mean, I think the fed sees their number one input. Infl- they're, they're political, they're politicians kind of at the end of the day. Right. And Not what they're hearing. Definitely. Right. So what they're hearing from their constituents is inflation is the number one problem. And honestly, as a small business owner, I'm kind of on that page, too. I'm like, this is a problem. Like somebody better fix this, you know. Uh, So I actually kind of I feel like if I'm feeling like that, a lot of people are feeling like that. And uh, and I think the Fed still looks at, um, you know, economic activity or, you know, credit markets are relatively healthy. Stock markets are still within spitting distance of all time highs. I think they see that as a license to hike. Um, and that means assets are going to go down. So I just, where do you put your money? I, I just, I'm, I'm very, I just. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a fantastic question. I, I think what's really interesting though, is I, I believe there's a mistaken belief mm. that, you know, a few hundred basis points of, of changing of, of the fed funds rate is going to do anything to fix the inflation numbers. It's just not. Right? I mean, it's literally just not. And, you know, will will a recession cure some of the 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 price increases? Sure. Right? I mean if you if you cripple certain businesses and 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 make people, you know, less well off, they'll spend less and therefore there'll be less demand pull inflation, fine. But that's why I keep talking about this. This is not traditional inflation. It's, it's, it's currency devaluation. And, and changing the interest rate that banks borrow from the Fed to lever up their balance sheets and, and buy treasuries because no one else will, that ain't going to change. In fact, it, it, will, it will cause pressure on the banks, which you've seen the bank stocks just get whacked here. Uh, because if, if their borrowing costs are rising... And and the yield they make on their 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 treasury purchases isn't rising as quickly. Uh, the yield curve is flattening, right? Your short-term borrowing costs go up, and your long-term rates stay roughly pegged, or maybe go up a little bit. That that spread that you were making and levering up eleven or twelve times for free money. Uh, and then the last part of it is is the velocity of money continues to decline. So what we have the potential is that. We've seen this movie before, 1937. We were coming out of, you know, the re- response to the crash, and and we had this recession going on, and and we had we had gone to emergency stimulus measures, QE for the first time. We were buying our own debt. And that was mostly because we were an emerging market; nobody wanted our debt. Um, 
and we didn't have as much, but we had a lot. But the, the real problem was interest rates were at zero from 1930 to 1937, and then we tried to bump them up. And a 25 basis point increase actually plunged us into the worst part of the depression. And the problem is the difference between a recession and a depression is a very fine line and, and, and has really deleterious impact, not just in real time, but then in, in the aftermath. I mean, it takes, in, instead of recovering in, in, in months and quarters and years, you're talking decades to get back to normal. There was a whole generation after 1937 into the 50s, right? Into the early 60s. There was a whole generation. Debt was evil, right? They would never borrow money. They would never. I mean, and if you don't have debt in a society and everything is cash-based and you got to save up to buy a car, or save up to buy a house, or save up to start a business, everything goes down. This episode is brought to you by Blockdaemon, the world's leading blockchain infrastructure platform. Blockdaemon's mission is simple. Make spinning up a node so easy a five-year-old could do it and so secure that any chief compliance officer in the world could sleep easy at night. In plain English, Blockdaemon allows anyone, whether you're a crypto native fund, a financial institution, a DeFi protocol, whatever, to participate in crypto more safely. For some, that can mean participating in governance, it could mean gathering real-time and accurate data, it could mean generating yield through staking, Whatever it is, when it comes to crypto, infrastructure is edge, and there's simply no better edge offered than the one from Blockdaemon. Blockdaemon supports a range of services on over 50 protocols, and that's a growing list. They have multiple layers of risk mitigation that include regional and data center diversity, 24-7 human and automated monitoring, a full-service team of engineers to avoid technical difficulties, and things like slashing insurance. In other words, they literally make it foolproof. If your organization relies on real-time, accurate data that comes from blockchains, please, please, please click the link at the bottom of this episode and go check them out. Again, it's important. Got to click the link at the bottom. Otherwise, I won't get my credit. One of the things that we're talking about here is is financial oppression in general. I'm going I'm to read you this. Uh, and, you know, th- this gets this gets bandied around a lot on, on kind of crypto Twitter and stuff. I'm going to read you this summary of a paper. High public debt often produces the drama of default and restructuring, but debt is also reduced through financial oppression, attacks on bondholders and savers via negative or below market real interest rates. After World War II, capital controls and regulatory restrictions created a captive audience for government debt, limiting tax base erosion. Financial oppression is most successful in liquidating debt when accompanied by inflation. For the advanced economies, real interest rates real interest rates were negative half the time during 1945 to 1980, half the time. Average annual interest expense savings for a 12 uh, country sample range from about one to 5% of GDP for the full 1945 to 1980 period. We suggest that once again, financial oppression may be part of the toolkit deployed to cope with the most recent surge in public debt in advanced economies. This was an IMF paper that was written in 2015. The woman is not who wrote this was not not a Bitcoiner, not a crypto Twitter person. She is yeah. the current uh, chief economist of the World Bank Group. Her name is Carmen Reinhart. And she wrote this in 2015. And how prescient does that seem to what's going on right now? I mean, incredibly prescient. And, and again, what, what's awesome about Carmen and her work is it's just math, mm-hmm. right? It's not emotion. It's not theory. It's not conjecture. It's math. Mm. And, and, 
you know, we've been talking about this for months. Financial repression is a choice, right? It's a policy choice. It's a policy choice. Yeah, right. That's why all the calls for, you know, more checks and more stimulus, which I think are on the way. And I would not be surprised, would not be surprised if there's magically some checks that come out right before November. So. I do want to, I want to actually put put a pause on this because I want to get your take on Elon Musk and, and Twitter. Uh, uh, I, I So to set the scene for listeners, right, you know, last week, you know, it gets announced, Elon Musk comes out and he, you know, took a large stake. He became the largest stakeholder in, in Twitter above like Vanguard and BlackRock or whatever. Second, I think only to Jack Dorsey. Um, and he was going to join the board and he's tweeting all these things, right? It's like, hey, do you guys want an edit button? You know, he tweeted this thing where the biggest accounts aren't tweeting a lot as evidence of like what's not working. Comes out last week, he's not joining the board, right? And the the CTO, Parag, was like, hey, you know, Elon Musk, we... See, we, did, we just didn't think this would be best, et cetera. He had this little sentence at the end, there will be some distractions, which probably should have been seen as foreshadowing. And I think some people got there. Uh, and, you know, then it comes out, you know, you know, funding secured, right? We're at 54.20, right? Per share or something like that. Yeah. Um, yep. The letter gets released. This is my first and final offer. Now, maybe before we even get into like what your thoughts on this are specifically, what are some of the fiduciary obligations here, right? This isn't just, hey, does the board want to do this? Do they not want to do this? There, there are fiduciary duties. There are things the board can do. There are things the board cannot do, right? So, you know, when you're talking about the sale of a public company, what's some of the stuff that's going on here that, that average listeners might not understand about who you have to get approvals from for a sale? Yeah, I, again, I, I actually, I don't know all of the exact you know protocols like there mm-hmm. to your point there there is a a, a number of protocols mm-hmm. um but the board as i understand it deliberates mm-hmm. and can accept or reject mm-hmm. any unsolicited offer for for a company one of the things and i actually tweeted about this last night um with a typo from autocorrect where someone said, yeah, you probably would want the edit button because, you know, instead of interest, it said integrate. I'm like, autocorrect is crazy. I mean, it, it substitutes words. Like every time I type the word and, it swaps in abs. I'm like, I would never type the word abs, right? Don't have them, don't, I mean, that's not what, why it does that, I don't know. But anyway, so, um, but I, to me, because Elon tweeted about this saying that, it will be a violation of their fiduciary duty if they don't take this to a shareholder vote. Like, well, I don't know that that's true. Actually, I don't think that it is, um, but I don't actually know. But I, I think the the arrogance of the tweet was an offer above the current price is not a, a standard by which someone must act. Right? I mean, the stock was 80 bucks not that long ago. So 54 is actually way less. And just because you make an offer doesn't mean anybody has to say it's a good idea. Um, so I, I do think the board has to consider it. I think they can, I think they can choose to accept it or reject it. At the end of the day, it's a the shareholders would have, I think the way it works is then you do a proxy and, and the shareholders can choose to 
participate or not participate. So it, it, but I should, I should, I should look more into that. But honestly, this reminds me of what Carl Icahn used to do, right? Carl would take a position and then he would say, ah, you know, I love the company so much. I want to buy the whole thing. And the company would be like, no, we don't want to be bought by you. And this product would grow up and say, oh, all right, then I'll just sell my stuff and make a bunch of money. Um, so I, I wish, I shouldn't say wish, that's probably too strong. I would hope that the things that Elon says publicly about, you know, wanting to be an advocate for free speech and he wants to fix Twitter so to make it, you know, less censored. I would like to believe that's true. My gut tells me it's not because his history of finding whatever the most current thing is, he inserts himself, right? Kids, you know, kids trapped in a cave, he's right there. You know, some topic on cannabis, he's right there. Something on, you know, anything. He's, he's always there with some new idea. So, yeah. you know, I, 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 I actually love the other side where people are saying, yeah, he just wants to, to get on there so he can uh, shut down all the accounts that hate on, on uh, Tesla so his stock price will go up. I, I don't believe that either. I want to be you know, thoughtful about this, but I, I just couldn't even believe this headline. It was like this was, this was uh, you know, an op-ed written in, uh, I think it was the BBC or The Guardian by yeah. a very famous U.S. you know policymaker uh, or you know ex policymaker maybe still involved, Elon. Musk, the headline is Elon Musk's vision for the internet is dangerous nonsense. Musk has long advocated a libertarian vision of an uncontrolled internet. That's also the dream of every dictator, strongman, and demagogue. It's oh like, God, yeah. It's like come on, dude. That that is so bad. Be- right, because that's because every autocratic regime famously has the least controlled internet standards. What are you sm- like? That's just such, such malarkey. No, Michael, I, I had the same. I had the same reaction, and and part of it is clearly these headlines are are designed to elicit these types this, of reactions. Right, that must be what thick. they're trying to get me to feel like that because yeah. that's just so. It's, it's, you know, it's it's so bogus because look, we, we you know we as as you know crypto people or Bitcoin people, this is this is what we talk about. Right. The printing press busted the monopoly of the church. The church had the monopoly on information. You sh- you went to church on Sunday. They gave you your views. They gave you your opinions. You couldn't read. You couldn't write. And the printing press busted that monopoly. So right. then who took the monopoly? The governments. So the governments then seized control of media. And they either had direct control, like dictatorships, like strongmen. They had absolutely perfectly controlled media. Look at North Korea. Look at, at you know, communist right. China or, or communist, you know, USSR. Are, are you kidding me? Open and free communication? No. Even the United States, when we had three networks, it was arguably guided by government. The internet busted that wide open. Busted yeah. it wide open. And the idea now that we have a an app on the internet that isn't unfettered, that actually cancels people. Like, and, and what's worse is someone or someone's inside that company 
is making the, and maybe it is the government through them, but someone's making the decision that, you know what, the thing, COVID, anything that anyone says against the thing, you're deplatformed. Yeah. Even if later on it comes out that that person was right. And then the new thing, you know, comes up. And if you say, so that, if, if, if Elon really, really wants to go in and say, we're not going to do that anymore. We're just going to be a public square. And that's what free speech is all about. I, I sell my shares. Yeah. Actually, I don't have any shares, but. Um, I don't know you said that. I think my thought process behind this, like the, maybe like the bull case for why this might be a good thing. Like you and I have talked about on the show. I, I, act, I do view deplatforming and censorship of speech is, is a very worrisome trend. And I, you know, I, I kind of, I do believe that, uh, you know, Elon cares about it. He's also a good product guy, like for all the hate, whatever. SpaceX freaking successful. I mean, that's unbelievable what he's done. Tesla, I don't I don't know how that's going to go down in history, but he single-handedly jump-started the EV car movement in the US. What, whatever it is, the, the guy does actually have an, a history of executing getting shit done. I, I think he yeah. could be interesting. On the on the maybe more bearish side, um, you know, my initial thought when he took this the 9% stake was that's really smart because it's like why do billionaires buy media companies? Yes. It's a it's a protection thing, right? Like you're you're much less likely to go with that that billionaire if they've got a media arm. And I think what I what I thought at the time is that wow, that's really shrewd because the the ultimate worry for Elon is getting deplatformed from Twitter. Look what happened to Trump. A nine yep. percent stake is essentially a three billion dollar insurance policy against your two hundred billion dollars of wealth. It's pretty freaking smart. Like I thought that was a good yeah, idea. Yeah. Absolutely, it's like Bezos buying Washington Post. Right, hundred percent, and and. Yes, but then to to go all in and say, so I'll just buy the whole thing. You know, so the Victor Kayam moment. You know, I love right. I love the product, so I bought the or love the razor, so I bought the company. I'm with you that I don't think that makes as much sense. And it will elicit all these other things like, well, what's your real agenda? Well, I actually think he has the agenda that you just described. He's trying to protect himself. But here's here's the weird thing. And I didn't know this stat until yesterday, so I haven't checked it, but I, you know, it sounds right to me. Only 4% of people in the world actively use Twitter. I, here's, here's what, the, 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 the last, uh, is it 4%? I don't know. It's 100 million? That's, that's, that's what I read yesterday, that 4% of people, if you take the, the number of daily active users, it's 4% daily, of the world. Daily active users. Okay. You know, the... I don't know. It, very quickly, this narrative is coalescing on Twitter in this, you know, in the people that I follow in my circles. It's like if this sale doesn't go through, that's uh, evidence that the deep yes. state. Oh, my and it's gosh. Like, and it's like, guys, crazy. come on. Like, no, it is not. It, sorry. Not. I just don't think that's that's a huge reach. Also, here's the thing. You know, Bitcoin, what I believe what I believe in strongly is system design and incentives. How would the Bitcoiners who are advocating for Elon Musk to take over Twitter, how would you feel if one per if Elon Musk took over control of Bitcoin? It's not about him. It's about governance and it's about systems. And like, sorry, that's not great. Uh, th- th- and then the last thing I'll say too is like, how's he going to finance this? That's what, okay, he's got two hundred billion dollars. <laughs> it's in Tesla it's and it's in private sites. Not liquid. Yeah. Uh, not so liquid. what? So what is he? Gonna, he's got two options, right? Uh, he can either sell some of his Tesla. 
Yeah, would be an excuse to borrow sell. against it, and and the or banks, the banks would be salivating. Look, the banks would be salivating to to finance it for him. Yeah, and so I, I actually, I think he could do it. now. You know, I love the thing. He'd be better off buying you know a million Bitcoin. Totally agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, totally agree with that uh, as an investment. But I don't think it's about the investment. I I think I think it really. I I hope right. I I actually I really hope it is about. I I want this platform to be neutral, and and I I, I'm a little softer. Shockingly, because people think I hate Elon. I actually don't hate Elon. No, Um, either. Hate the valuation of Tesla. That's what I hate. and I don't even hate the company. I don't even hate the car. I just hate the valuation. I think it's it's dangerous. Um, but 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 I admire Elon for all the reasons you you said. I mean, he 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 does get stuff done. He does execute on visions. He does. Now, does he always play by exactly the rules? Probably not. And and look, I'm I'm just a dutiful firstborn. I play by the rules. I don't I don't bend them. I. And, and maybe it's bad on me. Maybe if if I, if I if I played a little more fast and loose, I'd be more successful. But um, what I what I don't worry so much about him being in control. If he owns it, just like Bezos owning the Post, I don't think Bezos is writing the articles, and I don't think he's being an editor. I think he probably holds some sway over people and could fire them. But but ultimately, what I believe, and this could be wrong, I believe that what he's wants to say is we're not going to deplatform. Like his first move, likely, is just put Trump back on. I was going to say and that must be, right? Stock price, no, and stock price would go up a lot because it's entertaining. I mean, the guy is entertaining. I don't actually agree with most of what he says, but it is entertaining. And it creates engagement. And that's what, that's what communities are all about. It's about the engagement. And so I... I'm with you that I don't believe there's going to be this this governmental conspiracy to stop him from buying it. And at the end of the day, the way these things play out, hostile uh, attempts take uh, play out, is you're going to have the Alawids of the world who say, hmm, price is too low. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Elon comes back at him and says, well, how do you feel about journalists? And it's like Khashoggi. And that's not the point. He owns a meaningful percentage, whatever that number is. He didn't say, but he owns a meaningful percentage. And you offered 54. So guess what? You're going to pay me more than 54. And that's the way it works, right? It's, you know, you can say, this is my highest and best offer. That isn't the way hostile takeovers work. Apparently, every single time after there's an acquisition of a public company, there's a lawsuit, no matter what. Because someone says, <laughs> you should have gotten a higher right. price. Right. Uh, my, my dad works right. and he worked in M&A and he told me this. At, like, without fail, every single time, no matter what, there's of a course. lawsuit. 100%. Um, but, you know, in this in this instance, from my understanding of like, you can't just take the first offer at something like this, right? You need to shop that around, right? And everybody knows that. Everyone who's been involved in these deals knows and understands that. That's why it's all theatrics that's going on on Twitter, uh, you know, at the current day. Well, but so- here's the other thing. They don't need to sell. Right. It's a perfectly viable business. They're doing fine. They don't need, you know, it's, it's a different thing when... When somebody you know wants to buy a distressed asset, you know, company that needs to be turned around or fixed. That's what Icon used to do. It'd be like, you know, or or a company that has unlocked value. Now people could say, 
well, the current management is derelict because they're not putting Trump back on and therefore not increasing the value of the company. And I, as a shareholder, want that to happen. And this guy will do it. Okay. And that, that's probably where this idea of the shareholders, which are the owners of the company, right? The board doesn't own the company. The shareholders do. But I do, and, and this is where I should just, I should do more study. I, I do think, even though the shareholders own it, I do think the board gets to, I can't say decide, but I no, think they get the, to determine the course the, of action. They have a fiduciary obligation to the shareholders. And I think there is, there is again, this is where I don't know specifics either, but there is a certain amount, right? It, almost like, uh, you know, VCs in crypto get dinged for, for selling, uh, but it's like, you have a fiduciary obligation. I, I'm not sure if it's a, what you don't want to do is expose yourself to liability so that a lawyer could say, come in and say, hey, yeah. you guys held these coins, you know, they were up 10 times, right? You you are, you have a fiduciary obligation to your limited partners. And in the same way, if there's a certain amount, right, that a lawyer could come in and say, guys, Elon Musk offered you a super fair offer, right? Like way above market, then you, then I think they'd have to take it more seriously. Um, yeah, well, but the, the flip side is to your point, there's already the people who, you know, bought it at 80, you know, who are saying it's too low and they're going to sue. So you're right. There will be a lawsuit. Actually, there was Twitter up at 80. I don't even know what Twitter. Yeah. I mean, like a year ago, whenever, whenever it was, it was, it was 80 bucks and it, it fell and people were saying, well, that group is going to say this, this price is too low, but who's to say what price is right or wrong because companies are funny, right? In the sense that we have this world in which we live where, where companies are being valued at, at crazy levels, crazy multiples. And, you know, one thing we know is the more engagement on the platform, the more revenue they can derive, right? That's the way it works. So if, and this, this is actually a pretty, pretty strong case for Elon or anybody else who wants to buy it. If you say that the deplatforming activity is decreasing engagement and therefore hurting shareholders, pretty tough for the current management and board to not fix that. I am with you on that. And, and you know what? Twitter, the stock price has underperformed relative to their comps, right? If you're looking at other social networks like, I mean, LinkedIn's uh, owned by Microsoft, I think, but like, I'm sure they've done like Facebook, right? And Pinterest yeah. and those other public yeah. ones. Yeah. Um, Mark, I know we've got to wrap here. Um, yep. This has been, uh, missed you last week, man. Uh, this was fun. I know, uh, you know, and, and the crazy thing is I, I, I could have done it. It mm-hmm. would have been hard. Yeah. Um, as, as bad as my night was last night getting home at 1.30, uh, I think I got home a little later on Thursday night. Um, <laughs> I'm sure you did. Down in, down in Miami. Yeah. Um, I didn't stay out with with the pups up till four or five, um, <laughs> the but yeah, I mean the young bucks were out. Were out. Uh, the the funny story. I'll, I'll let, so it wasn't this year because I I had to go home early. Um, uh, in fact, the the one bummer I did have to come home early, and this is a total, well, not even not even humble brag. It's just a brag. Um, so I got this DM uh, on on Wednesday. Hey, I'm having a, I'm having dinner at my house. You know, would you would you like to come over? And it was from Michael Saylor. I'm like, oh my god, yes, nice, I, yes, I, I I do. But for family reasons, I I had to I had to come home on Friday night. And he was very gracious. He's like, oh, you know, 
you know, we'll, we'll stay in touch. And it was only, and the only reason I got that was because we had done the podcast together uh, the week before. And he's like, oh, this guy sounds interesting. But that was pretty cool. But uh, a year ago, um, I went to the Gemini party with, with you know, Winklevoss twins sponsored, and it was surreal. But, uh, you know, I'm there and we're talking, it's 11 o'clock. And so it's, oh, you know, the, the, the DJ is coming. I'm like, oh, who's the DJ? And they're like, Diplo. Means nothing to me. I'm texting my kids. Diplo's right? huge. Kids. He's huge. No, 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 Michael. So I'm texting my kids, and like instantaneously, like, oh my god, Dad, you, you have to stay. I mean, this guy's uh, legendary. And he's like a top five, it, top five yeah, DJ. It, just legendary. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, okay, I'll stay. So midnight comes, nothing. Twelve thirty, nothing. So I finally. Tap the one of the, the the staff. I said, "When? Oh, they don't they don't come till two o'clock." I'm like, "Okay, I'm out." So I I couldn't do it. So I left. And but as I'm leaving, twelve forty five at night, as I'm leaving, there are these like line of lifts and Ubers with you know Russian supermodels and Brazilian guys getting out to come in to the party. They're they're just coming to the party, and I was like. And they probably woke up an hour earlier because they'd been out all night the night before. So I, it's just not my my world. I can't keep up with the young bucks. But uh, it's not really my anyway. scene either. Um, I'll send you some Diplo mixes. I've got them on my okay, running cool. set list. And, and 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 I will study Diplo. And the next time I have the chance to see Diplo, I will. We'll we'll get them. You know, permissionless next year. We'll get them for a nice four p.m. set. So it'll be it'll be it'll be perfect for you. Um, Love it. <laughs> Love it. The old, guy, the old guy. The the, the matinee. The old guy. Yeah, matinee. yeah. The matinee. Right. The early bird special. All right, Mark. This has been a ton Love of fun. Uh, I will see yeah. you next week. All right. Cheers. See you next week. Bye.